I wonder if you turn with me to Acts chapter 18 this morning. If you have your Bibles, Acts chapter 18, and we're just going to read the first 17 verses. And the account of the Apostle Paul in the city of Corinth. After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And there he met a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, who had recently uh, come from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had ordered all Jews to leave Rome. And Paul went to see them. Because he was a tent maker, as they were, he stayed and worked with them. Every Sabbath he reasoned in the synagogue, trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook out his clothes in protest and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And Paul left the synagogue and went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshipper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord, and many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. One night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision. Do not be afraid, keep on speaking. Do not be silent, for I am with you, and no one is going to attack and harm you, because I have many people in this city. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half, teaching them the word of God. While Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul and brought him to the place of judgment. This man, they charged, is persuading the people to worship God in ways contrary to the law. Just as Paul was about to speak, Gallio said to them, if you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves questions about words and names and your own law, settle the matter yourselves. I will not judge of such things. So he drove them off. And then the crowd turned on Sosthenes, the synagogue leader, and beat him in front of the proconsul. And Gallio showed no concern whatsoever. Well, we thank the Lord for his word. We're going to look at that passage now uh, together. And I want us to have a look at challenges and encouragements from that passage. The story goes of a man who was shoveling his snow outside his house off his driveway. And two boys with, with snow shovels appeared from nowhere and said, Clear your driver for two pound, uh, mister. Can't you see I'm doing it myself, he said to the boys. Yes, but we get most of our business from people who get halfway through and feel like giving up. Well, Christian ministry can be a bit like that, can't it? It can be very demanding. And there are times when even the most dedicated and enthusiastic worker will want to give up. And I believe the Apostle Paul had reached such a point at Corinth. We've got a map, I think, on the next section. There's Corinth there in the region of Achaia. And it's located on a strip between two main uh, lands between, and also between two seaports. 
And rather than risk the treacherous journey all around the, uh, the Peloponnese Peninsula, or Achaia as it is on the map there, ships would be unloaded and they would drag the cargo across that short strip of land by Corinth. Then they would load up the ship on the other side. And so Corinth became a large and prosperous city as a result. And the presence of many sailors uh, in, the, in that town who would come from different countries made it a very cosmopolitan place, but also a ver- very idolatrous place and also a very immoral place. And Corinth's reputation for immorality uh, was known far and wide. In fact, in the Greek language, if you wanted to insult a person, you would call them a Corinthian. It was well known for its immorality. And it was to this place that the Apostle Paul traveled on his second missionary journey. And maybe you imagine the Apostle Paul confidently striding into the city, rubbing his hands and saying, right, let's sort this place out. Well, nothing was further from the truth because we read in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 3, Paul saying, I came to you in weakness, with fear and trembling. The Apostle Paul came to them with that attitude. Paul was only a human like us, and he suffered many of the same fears and the same weaknesses as you and I have. In this passage, as I say, I want us to, to see some of the challenges and the encouragements of Christian ministry. Next, next slide, please. The first thing I want us to see is the challenges of ministry, focusing on these first of all. And the, my first sub-point in this section, if we can see it on the screen, is the challenge of making ends meet in verses 1 to 4. There's a saying that Jews had, that he who does not teach his son to work teaches him to steal. And so all Jewish boys were were taught a trade. And in the region of Cilicia, where Paul was brought up, uh, it was famous for goatskin leather. And naturally, Paul taught how to make tents out of goatskins. And there were times, we read, when Paul would use this trade that he learned to support his ministry, as he did here at the beginning in Corinth. We're told in 1 Corinthians 4, verse 12, Paul said he worked hard with his own hands amongst them. That's what he did. He he worked at his trade here. And he did this for several reasons, we learn as we read through his letters. One was so that he wouldn't be a burden on the church. Another reason was that so that he wouldn't hinder the progress of the gospel. And the third reason was so that he wouldn't be accused of seeking to profit from the gospel. And so, as I say, there were times when he would work with his own hands. His gospel ministry would have to exist side by side with his, his secular work. But on the Sabbath, on his day off, he would rest from his work and he would go to the synagogue. And there, as we read in verse 4, he tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. 
You know, many of us, many of you who are leaders in the church can probably uh, recognize that, can sympathize with Paul, this, this need to make ends meet. You maybe face the, the challenge of juggling a job, secular job with, with family life and church responsibilities. And that is, that is a challenge. That is a real challenge that those who are committed to, to gospel ministry face. As a mission, just, just as a side, SGA, we support uh, gospel leaders, church leaders in, in Eastern Europe to try to minimize the need for them to have to have secular jobs. But it's also an issue, isn't it, in, in the United Kingdom, especially if you're in a smaller church. And as church members, we may not always appreciate the, the challenges that our leaders face in this matter, and a matter of having to juggle these responsibilities, in particular, a secular job. And I wonder if there are things that we could do, practical things that we could do to make the burden lighter for our leaders. How can we help them practically in this area of, of being able to juggle all of these responsibilities and have the challenge of having to have a secular job alongside being fully committed to God's work here? So the challenge of making ends meet. The next thing I want you to see is the challenge of, of opposition in verse 6 and verses 12 to 13. When Paul visited a, a, a new city, and you probably saw this when you were doing Acts previously, it was his usual custom to start by visiting the local Jewish synagogue. And there he would share the gospel with, with Jews and, and God-fearing Gentiles. The principle he followed was, is given to us in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, where he says he went first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. That was his principle, that was his way of working, that was his strategy, we might say. And in Corinth, as in other places, some Jews responded to the message favorably, some obeyed, but others rejected it and became, as we see here, abusive in verse 6. Having fulfilled his responsibility then to the Jews, Paul would then go to the Gentiles. That was the way he worked. And we have this strange, these strange acts in verse 6, don't we, there, of Paul shaking out his clothes. Well, that's the equivalent of today of saying, you know, I'm washing my hands of the situation. That was the equivalent then. It was a pronouncement, we might think, of judgment. And then Paul says, your blood be on your own heads, which means you are responsible for this. You are the ones who've rejected the gospel. Your blood be on your own heads. You must now face the consequences. That's a reminder to us all, isn't it, of the, I suppose, of the, the dangers of rejecting the gospel. They're serious. And maybe there's somebody here this morning, and you've come many times, and you've heard the gospel proclaimed many times from the from the pulpit here, but you've never yourself obeyed. You've never put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, it's serious, because if we reject the gospel, all that's left is God's judgment. However, that's not the end of the Jewish opposition we read 
here later, we see that the Jews of Corinth made a united attack on Paul and brought him to the place of judgment in verse 12. The Jews tried to silence Paul forever by getting the new Roman governor who just arrived to pronounce this, this Christian sect illegal. And they would be done away with these Christians forever. Well, we should not be surprised, should we, when, when our enemies, the enemies of the gospel, turn to the authorities to try to silence the gospel. It's happening today in, in different parts of the world it's also happening in our own country, if you listen to the Christian news as well. We have that example, don't we, recently of the Ashes Bakery in Northern Ireland. Satan hates the gospel and those who proclaim it. And he will use all means, including the authorities, to stop it advancing and to harm those who would be proclaiming it. It's difficult, isn't it, to, to stop such opposition, to prevent it. We can pray for those who are suffering. We can support organizations like the Christian Institute who are working in this area. But sadly, in churches, it's not always the opposition from outside that's the problem. It's the opposition from within that causes church leaders most grief. It's at one level the, the grumbling, it's the complaining, it's the undermining, it's the gossiping that can cause most grief to leaders within the church. Or at another level it can be apathy, it can be the lack of commitment, it can be a take it or leave it attitude to church, their unwillingness to, to commit to anything. You know, it's good to examine ourselves at times and, and, and ask, is, 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 is my attitude an encouragement to the leaders or a, or a discouragement? But whilst we're on the subject of discouragement, I want to move on to the next section, the next the, because discouragement is here, isn't it? In, in verse 9 we see it. Because it seems that the great apostle Paul was, was discouraged during his time at Corinth. We, 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 I quoted that verse earlier on where it says that he came in weakness and great, great fear and trembling to the city. Paul, no doubt, was, was physically weak after his long journey and having to flee from his life, for his life in a number of places. He would have been physically weak. But that fear and trembling suggests more than just physical weakness. It seems he was perhaps mentally and emotionally weak at this time as well. And this opposition he faced at Corinth pushed him to the point where, where he was contemplating giving up. Well, Christian leaders will recognize that, recognize what Paul was going through here because ministry is both physically and emotionally demanding. And if you add to that the opposition and and, and the lack of fruit, then the result can be discouragement, real discouragement. And in some cases, that can even lead to depression. And that's a, a real problem that affects all types of people. And God's servants are not immune from that either. And it's something that we need to look out for 
in ourselves, but also in others as well. You know, it's not an admission of weakness. It's not a, a sign of being unspiritual if, if you feel discouraged at times or even depressed. If the great apostle could suffer from it, then each one of us could be affected by it. And there are things, of course, we can do to help to prevent it. But in the end, we might need to seek medical help. But I ask each one of us here, and myself included, am I a source of encouragement to my leaders, or am I a source of discouragement to them? Challenge you, when was the last time you went up to a particular leader and said, I appreciate your ministry, I appreciate what you're doing, I pray for you regularly? Or when was the last time you went up to somebody who, who just preached and said, you know, I really appreciated that sermon this morning. It spoke to me. It helped me. Are we an encouragement to our leaders? And it's at this low point when the apostle is maybe contemplating giving up that the Lord visits him with, with words of encouragement and, and comes and strengthens him. And I want us to look at the encouragements next now of ministry. And the first one I want us to see in verse 9 and 10 is the encouragement of God's word. The Lord comes to Paul and he gives him a series of promises. Did you notice that in verse 9? I am with you, he says. Paul, you may feel isolated on your own, but, but you're not. I am with you. He says no one is going to attack or harm you. Paul, you may feel weak, you may feel vulnerable at this time, but you're not. I, I will protect you. And he says, I have many people in this city. Paul, you may feel that the gospel is being ineffective here, but, but it's not. I will save many people in this city. A great encouragement those words must have been, what those promises must have been to the, the apostle in his discouragement. And you might be thinking, well, wouldn't it be good if God had come to me and speak to me like that? And that would encourage me. Well, can I say he has done through his word? With many such promises, similar promises as those that the Lord gave to the apostle to encourage us this morning. We could turn, and we're not going to turn now, but you could turn to these passages in Matthew 28 and see there how the Lord promises to be with his disciples to the very end of the age. So that's a promise to the very end of the age. So it includes us in that promise as well. He promises to be with us, to stand alongside us. We could turn to Romans 8 and read those famous words there where the Lord promises not a life free from opposition, no, but he promises spiritual protection. He promises nothing will harm us. Or we could turn to Isaiah 55, where the Lord never promised his people that he would save every time he preached, but he promised that his, his word would go out and it would accomplish what he desired of it. In other words, God's word is never ineffective. It will accomplish what he purposed for it. God has given us 
those and many other promises as well to encourage us, the encouragement of God's word. And we must forever be reading God's word and taking those promises and being encouraged by them. But we also see in this passage the encouragement of partners in ministry as well. In verses 2 and 5, the encouragement of partners in ministry. When Jesus sent out his disciples into the countryside, he sent them out in pairs. When Paul arrived at Corinth, he, he teamed up with Aquila and Priscilla, we see. And this, this couple, Priscilla and Aquila, become, became an effective partners in, in gospel work, not just in Corinth, but later on in Ephesus as well. And also we see here Silas and Timothy joining Paul later from Macedonia. They, of course, were long-term partners of Paul in his ministry. And it seems that they bring with them a, a substantial gift from the churches in Macedonia. And this results in Paul not having to continue with his tent making, but actually being able to concentrate on, on and devote himself exclusively to, to gospel work, to his ministry. You know, it's essential to have partners in gospel work. The, the one-man ministry model is not one that's encouraged in the New Testament. We need partners. Jesus had his team. Paul had his team. And each one of us needs that support in, in gospel ministry, the support of prayer and the support in other practical ways as well. That support is so vital within the church one of the great encouragements of myself, for myself personally is knowing that there are people in the UK who are praying for, for me and for the work of SGA. That's a great encouragement. And to know that you have that support behind you. There is a team there. Do you pray for your leaders here? Do you support and encourage them? and others who are involved in gospel ministry, perhaps further afield. You know, it's so important that we, we partner, that we work together in teams. It's a vital part of God's work. So having partners in ministry. And then finally, I want us to see the encouragement of fruit in verse 8. We're told that many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. The encouragement of fruit Perhaps this is the greatest encouragement of all in Christian ministry, seeing the fruit of the gospel, the salvation of unbelievers, and the growth in grace of believers, fruit for the gospel. And this, of course, should be our, our constant prayer, that the Lord would encourage our leaders and each one of us by seeing fruit, fruit for the gospel. And several people are mentioned here in this passage. And I just want to look at them individually. There's, there's Titius Justus, who we're told is a worshipper of God. He was a Gentile who attended the synagogue, but evidently became saved under Paul's ministry there and, and starts to use his home as an evangelizing center. Commentators suggest, if you read them, that this, this man's full name may have been Gaius Titus Justus. And we read in 1 Corinthians 1.14 that Paul baptized him. 
And that the whole church enjoyed this man's hospitality. His home became the first meeting place of the church in Corinth. What encouragement that must have been to Paul to see this man saved and then himself becoming fully committed and, and handing his home over to be used for the church uh, and for evangelizing. Then next we read of a man called Crispus there in verse 8, who's described as the synagogue leader or ruler. He believed, we're told, along with his, old, his whole household. And Paul mentions baptizing him in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 14, along with Gaius. And this, the salvation of this prominent Jew must have, been, must have made a great impression on others and led to other conversions as well. And that must have been so encouraging to the apostle that his evangelism amongst the Jews had borne fruit even though there was opposition. Some fruit develops quickly, but other fruit takes a lot longer. And we read finally of this man Sosthenes in verse 17. We're also told he was a synagogue leader, but he was beaten by the crowds at this, uh, this hearing in, a, in an outburst of what seems to be some, sort, some form of anti-Semitism. And again, it's, it's speculation, but it's, we wonder whether this is the same Sosthenes who Paul writes as, who calls our brother in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 1, very beginning of his letter to Corinth. Is it possible that this Sosthenes was converted sometime after this, this beating, this public beating, and he becomes Paul's secretary in Ephesus? Could it be that he needed to follow Paul because he, he himself was in danger because, of the, because the crowds turned on him? And he goes with Paul and Priscilla and Aquila to the safety of Ephesus. Well, we don't know. It's conjecture, I know. But it helps to remind us, doesn't it, that sometimes fruit takes longer to develop. It takes longer to grow. And therefore, we must be willing to persevere and not give up in gospel work. Gospel ministry is tough. There are challenges, and we've thought of a few this morning, and there are discouragements, but there are also encouragements as well, as we've seen. And if you're leading ministry here this morning, persevere in it. Don't give up. Look to the Lord to, to strengthen you in the work. Look to His Word. Look to those around you who can support, pray for you, and help you in practical ways. And remember that the fruit is in God's hands in the end. It's in His hands. For each one of us, let us seek to be a source of encouragement to our leaders and not a source of discouragement. Just think about how we can make their burden lighter and not how we make it heavier. And may the Lord help us as we seek to do that. Thank you. Let's just pray together, shall we? Before we sing our, our final song. Heavenly Father, we do thank you.
for your word. Thank you that your word is very practical at times and it speaks to us. We thank you for the, have the examples of uh, the great apostle Paul here and, uh, and yet we recognize his own weaknesses. That he was a man who was at times discouraged. And yet, Lord, how you came alongside him and encouraged him and blessed him with fruit. And we pray, Lord, that that might be the experience of our leaders here as well. They would be encouraged in these days. And that you would bless your work here and, the, and grow it, Lord, with, the, with, a, with fruit, fruit of people turning to Christ and people growing in the faith. Lord, we ask you to bless us in this way. In Jesus' name, amen.